silky happy new year and all that jazz yes it feels like it's already way further in than the start of feb doesn't it well yeah it does and i suppose that you and i have been a little busy with um getting you know back to work and getting back under covid restrictions to actually get our first to get our first recording off for the year which is a good start we could have done one last month but everyone's just far too busy and stressed i think Yes, but uh, it's nice of you to actually raise the topic that I'd like to discuss today, COVID. Oh, what is this one, uh, Queen of Health and... No, that's me, Queen of, <laughs> Queen of Health and Safety. There we go, I've got it out. That's <laughs> it. It's been a while. <laughs> yes, it has. It has. Um, so, COVID, that is a very interesting subject. So, 2022, wow. and it still is prominent as it was in 2020 and 2021. Mm. So it obviously hasn't gone away. And first-hand experience now, I have actually had COVID during January. Well, look at that. Um, I I still haven't had it yet. So thank God we're doing this by phone tonight. Correct. So, and, you know, it brings an interesting light to mandatory vaccines, workplaces, and um, even overseas travel coming back into Australia. So, you know, certainly an interesting topic, and I'm glad you brought it up. Mm. Well, certainly from an OHNS perspective, sorry for stuttering, when it comes to the legalities around the mandate and who is responsible for injuries caused by either or the vaccine or by someone catching it at work. So mm. I, think, I think my dilemma and why I think it's interesting because you're a genius at this sort of stuff is that I get a little bit confused with who is responsible or who pays the, the cover costs. And I find it unfair that a business should have to cover any cost if it's, manda- if it's been made mandatory by the government to ask a small business to make sure they're all vaccine. And when they take the vaccine, if an employee takes the vaccine and then gets sick, or sick, really badly sick or even possibly dies, who pays that, that bill? Is it the government? And if it isn't, why not? Why, why do they get away with saying this is what you've got to do and then wiping their hands of the whole situation for small business? Well, the government kind of do wipe their hands at the whole situation because they go, it's a health department mandate. It's a, we're not forcing you into it, but if you want to work, you kind of have to have your first, second and third booster shot. So, you know, in Victoria in particular, where the government has mandated for anyone in what they deem an essential service, if you like. So that's our health sector, our education sector, uh, our manufacturing sector and transport sector and a lot of other sectors that uh, fall under that essential services banner, if you like. And, you know, here is if you want to work and continue to work and earn a living, support your family, want to keep your business operating, then you're going to have to comply with the government mandate or face huge fines 
you know, you take the little local cafe owner when the government, when the vaccine mandate first came in and they lifted the restrictions last year with um, you must be double vaccinated and you still need to be double vaccinated to go and sit inside a local cafe. Mm. And, you know, then there was the initial restrictions of you cannot go into non-essential retail like, you know, a major retail shop that's yep. not food. Yeah. But, 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 but as, a, as a quick question, on a, side, a sidebar, why do you think, being an MHNS, you know, expert in this field, why has it been there? As you said, they've probably wiped their hands of it, but they haven't really because they've made it another department, oh, sorry, government department, and then they're forcing businesses then to accept the brunt and the responsibility. But my question is to, to this section, if you're a small business and your employee gets really sick, someone's got to be compensated for this either because the government have actually said you have to do it, and then they're paying all this health, in, they're paying all this um, work, work cover insurance, and then these people get sick, now their premiums go up, everything rises. Why is, it, why is it not the government stepping up here and funding these poor businesses where some of these people are getting stuck? How is it that they can actually just get away with that? Like, it doesn't, doesn't seem to make sense to me that they're just telling everyone what to do and then literally walking away and making it all these small people down the bottom suffer the consequences. Well, it goes back to they're the lawmakers, right? So you've got to remember that in Australia, law is either made by parliament. Yeah. So that's your statutory law, you know, your acts, your regulations, your guidelines, your codes of practices. Yeah. The other one is made by case law. So that's what goes through the courts. So your first test case going through a court to go, Who's responsible? And the court decides. It's very much like those cases that we looked at last year yep. in terms of liability for a workplace death. Yep. So there's two ways to make laws. There is statutory law and case law. Yep. So at the moment with COVID, there has been very little case law going through the courts in terms of covid compensation, okay. um, you know, there, there was huge amounts being paid by the government to very large companies who actually didn't need it for COVID support. Yeah. They can't recover any of that because they didn't set the rules, the terms and conditions tight enough to say, mm. if you don't need it, you have to report so, you know, there's huge companies that made millions and millions and millions of dollars out of the cheaper job saver. So, you know, it's the same thing. The government can't take them to court to get to recover the money because when they first released that money, the rules weren't tight enough around. Sorry, so you're, over, just, you're just cutting out a little bit. You're cutting out a little bit. Sorry, so you, you, over yeah, the 12-month period, yeah. they... Tightened those rules on the job keeper and also the job saver, if you like, and yep. um, who qualified, how long you qualify for. So they tightened those laws. Now, with COVID and work cover and compensation to a small business for what they suffer, um, 
is it any different to the restriction of trade, so forcing small businesses, cafes, local, you know, yeah. to virtually do a takeaway only and no in-house? Is that any different to affecting their revenue or forcing smaller shops in a shopping centre to close for, you know, we have given you a $5,000 subsidy yeah. or a tax rebate yeah. on your payroll for not allowing you to operate. Yeah. So, again, those things have not gone through case law to go, where does the government's responsibility yeah. start and finish? So if, you, and so if you get injured, why is it, why is it a business's fault if, if the government have told that person they have to get it done, irrespective of where it is? So irrespective of where it is. So particularly, say, let's take the health sector, right? Yeah. I don't work in the health sector, so it doesn't matter. So we can, you know, surmise all we like about it, but take yeah. aged care. So, you know, you flat in the first year of COVID, lots of death, lots of people contracted COVID in their workplace, right? And work safe, work cover, we're inundated with claims. So if as a direct result you contract COVID through your workplace activities, so say yeah. hospital and yeah. aged care facilities, even yep. because you're the cook or the cleaner. Yep. So there's a, a huge contributing factor by contracting COVID and therefore you have, same as any injury, you have a work cover claim. Yep. That, that the employer needs to bear because they didn't protect the worker enough. It's no different to your back injury, your manual handling injury and it's a valid reason. Yep. Now, where you the vaccine mandate and say someone gets sick because they have an adverse reaction, that is where it then comes into play with the health department. And it's like any vaccine, they publish that taking the vaccine may cause an adverse reaction and you should seek medical advice before you take that vaccine. Mm -hmm. Now, nobody ever knows if you're going to react to any kind of medication whether it would be an anaphylaxis reaction or you get terribly ill, you end up in hospital, there is a wage loss and, you know, there is certain strategies within our um, social services sector so that, you know, if you are without an income or you end up with a disability, you can get a disability pension. So, you know, there is a coverage for them with that. But where is the moral obligation from the government when they force a mandate across the whole state to keep working? Is it a moral obligation has... by them, though? Is it a moral obligation in that sense or is this an ethical one where they think they've got to do the right thing? Because surely it's still up to an individual in the sense that if they don't want to get vaccinated, regardless, it should be the government's job to make sure under the healthcare system that everyone is protected. Whereas in this sense, they're forcing everyone and still leaving people to choose and have a and have a right not to get it done, to actually choose what path they want to do under this sort of um, democracy, to choose not to actually get the thing done, but then yet they're still left out in the lurch and they're told they have to. So they're literally forced into this space, which doesn't seem to make sense when it comes to running a business because we all know once you're over 90% vaccinated, everyone, the, the disease is going to be very small to 
to um, get into the community and then it's up to that person's right. If they get sick, they get sick, you know, then they go to the hospitals and they get sorted out. But that's what I don't understand is... And is... look, ethically and morally, I don't disagree with you. I think it's everybody's choice whether or not they get a vaccine. But somewhere that... Remember, if they would not mandate it, we would not reach 95%. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'll, I'll accept that, in that on that premise, and I, and I, I agree with that too. But it's it just... And, and I suppose just to make it clear for anyone listening to this, I'm vaccinated. I've had my three vaccinations, and I work in the medical field with people with disabilities who are vulnerable to um, attracting any sort of illness, really, from a cold, common cold to a flu. So I... I do that out of the premise of keeping people healthy, which is generally that moral obligation that society is generally supposed to have. You hope that people take that on board. So within their close circle of friends, they do it, and then that, that sort of goes on. And it continues on, and then everyone gets vaccinated for whatever reason. But there are the people that, that don't, which I totally understand, because it just doesn't make sense that even if it is mandated, it just and people do get sick, and there have been people that have got sick from it, if it, if it is and does come under work cover, then do work cover pain. I think before we started the recording today, you mentioned something about how uh, WorkSafe have, have changed the way it's recorded. So because it was just getting too much for the number of people that were catching it at work, is that correct? Correct. And like you, I am pro-vaccination. I do that for my health, for my family health and for my growth community, if you like. But um, if you weren't mandated, how many people would actually think that way? Yeah. And now what I was saying to you before we started recording is that in 2020, WorkSafe Victoria or the, the OHS legislators demanded that a COVID outbreak be a reportable incident, the same as what you would a fatality or serious incident Within your workplace. Yeah, so you would yeah, report that to the regulator and the regulator would step in to make sure that the workplace itself had managed this correctly. Yep. Now, come January 2022, that need to report a workplace outbreak is no longer a notifiable incident. And obviously with the rampant spread with the Omicron version of the virus, it no longer became viable for workplaces to do that because there were so many people were getting infected. I was one of those, you know. Mm. Did I take risks to expose myself? Did I walk around without masks? Did I stop using the hand sanitizer? Did I become complacent? No. You know, uh, when Omicron yeah. first broke out, I was probably more conscious about the widespread of it, not thinking that, you know, I'm double vaccinated, so therefore it is not going to be something that I will contract. No, never thought of that. But I thought that I had safely been living with the virus in the community for two years. Yeah. And nothing had changed from the way I conducted myself, the way I thought, the way I exposed myself. Uh, basically, just day-to-day -day life. I work from home. 
Um, I go to the supermarket and, you know, there's the occasional outing. So I won't say I never go out, but, you know, it only happens on the weekends. It's generally where I feel safe. Did I go out New Year's Eve and party big? No. So, you know, and I kind of thought I was relatively safe. But I also had, on the 6th of January, I had booked in for my third booster. And within two hours of that third booster, I became very, very ill to the point where immediately I had almost a chest infection to where I was grabbing my, I'm an asthmatic as well, so I was grabbing my asthma medication to relieve what I was experiencing. Called the doctor going, oh, it's just an adverse reaction to the vaccine because you've gone from one brand to another. Going, okay. Two days later, I was still experiencing the symptoms and probably even feeling worse. It felt like a really bad cold. I've certainly had worse flus and I get the flu injection every year. So it's it's not like, you know, I was dying here or anything like that. So it was quite containable. I was ill mm-hmm. and I felt a fatigue. Yeah. Um, but I certainly experienced worse flu. So it wasn't that I was going, I am so ill that I need to impede on the health system or go to hospital or anything like that. Yeah, and ask, sorry, it wasn't until two days did, later yeah. that I went and did a PCR test, which eventually, you know, seven days later came back as positive. Yeah. But in the meantime, I had gone around my normal and life, spread spreading yeah. it to God knows who, including my daughter, my elderly mother. My husband escaped it, but... You know, he's obviously got a higher immunity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he had to take time off work being a close contact. And it wasn't until I had taken a rat test when I could finally get a hold of one of those. It showed up negative. So I'm going, I'm negative. And then, so this was on a Thursday. So, again, I went about my life, if you like, in normal manner. To only come back three days later to you have a positive COVID event. Hmm. So can I ask you something though? Did you in I don't know where you work, but did you um, did you report this to your boss and then you get paid sick days because you only get ten? Well, I don't know. Well, I, I don't really know what ten sick days a year. You use ten of them now. You got the whole rest of the year to go, and then the individual again is being lumped if they get sick after this for whatever other reason. They they don't get paid for it, and then the company obviously can't pay you for any other sick days you have now. So everything's taken out of, out of the community when yet the government still doesn't sit up there due to the fact that they're forcing everyone to do this when really, if they just have a better healthcare system in this to help everyone get through it, there wouldn't be too much of a problem because that's what I uh, don't get. Like, look, I mean, I wouldn't say that if they had a better healthcare system, everyone would get through it because... I mean, they could build another hospital, right, though? They could in, build a proper in... immune, immunity hospital to help with these sorts of cases, surely. Well, the hospital system is is strained, but yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's probably more our services outside of that hospital that are even more strained. Say, say, take the ambulance service because oh, you have people time, yeah. that that is struggling hugely because you have people wasting their time 
Yeah. They're being blocked up by hospital admissions because they can't get them out of emergency fast enough. So an ambulance yeah. can't discharge a patient until the emergency department takes control of that patient. Yeah. So therefore, your ambulance might sit at in a in a parking bay for two to three hours before they can be admitted into hospital, which means that ambulance is out of service for that period of time. Mm. And, you know, I feel really sorry for, sorry for them because they're getting hammered by the public. But you know, oh. in in saying that, also they're being called out for minor stuff that you can go to the doctor for. And it's the same with that word. Uh, well, I, I agree with you, but that to me, again, I go, always go back to the fear that has been made due to telling everyone that you've got to report everything, don't go outside, do it. Anytime you get a symptom or sick, and this is what they said in 2001, go to the hospital. If you get sick and sick, you need to get sick. Everyone's going to the hospital. So, And part of that is... This is part of that thing, though. Part of that it? is also because the doctors are refusing to deal with it in order to keep operating their clinics. So it was certainly the case of take my mum, for example, right? She was experiencing those symptoms. She had requested a a house call from our local doctor surgery and it was kind of refused because if you are that sick that you require a house call, you should be going into the hospital system. So, And I think that's where kind of those blockages are happening is because on one hand you've got the health sector which will only like to deal with the nice-to-have stuff in their clinics yeah. and then shove all everything else off to the hospital. And you've got to remember that at no point in time were the three of us ever sick enough to require hospital intervention. You can't take an antibiotic for it because obviously antibiotics don't work with viruses. So it's got to be managed out of your system and you've got to shed it and get rid of it. And, you know, that was around the time when they go seven days as opposed to 14 days. So, you know, there was quite this big change of rules around that in order to keep everyone going, knowing that people were running out of sick leave, companies were struggling, paying pandemic leave, People, if you were quali- if you had sick leave, you couldn't qualify for the pandemic payment. So there's this whole thing around that as well, where the government is trying for anyone who does not have sick leave, try and keep you at home and give you a pandemic payment. If you work for a larger employer, yeah. you draw on your sick leave, yeah. and certainly they've put in place things like pandemic leave. Well, that's a good start. I so, haven't heard of that before. So please explain that. So if there's a pandemic and I'm like, and just hypothetically, I don't employ too many people. So, so if any of mine got sick, you know, I can, what, they can go on a week's leave and I pay them or then I have to submit something to the government. No, no, no. They the, the application goes straight through the MyCuff, so Medicare, if you like. Yeah. So the MyGov site will, you put the application in, they submit it through Centrelink and the employee gets paid. So okay. that that's, doesn't affect the employer or the small business. Okay, cool. So well, if they don't pay sick leave, so casual staff, they're still entitled to a pandemic payment 
to give them an income to not force them to go out in the workplace and spread, yeah. spread it even further. Perfect. So, you know, the, the government is certainly doing a lot in that. They're paying out huge tax dollars to support the families who do not have sick leave, annual leave or pandemic leave. Okay, cool. So cool. There, is, there is that. The government is doing their bit for them. And it's, it's, it's a huge burden on the taxpayers, you know. And it'll take us God knows how many trillion years for us to pay it back. To ever get back into the black. Mm. So, and, you know, this is including all those payments back in 2020 to JobKeeper, JobSaver and whatever else they called it. Um, you've got to remember that Australia still has probably... You know, less than five percent unemployment. So sometimes you're kind of talking about the people who cannot work, choose not to work, or are unable to work. So our unemployment rate's still very very low, and employers are actually struggling to get workers into the workplace back from their initial layoffs from when the pandemic first started. So there is all of these concerns. But your question was pandemic leave. So a lot of the large companies and particularly government organisations who employ a huge amount of the workforce, uh, they've put in things like additional leave to your 10 days and pandemic leave. Mm -hmm. So they employ... The employee can draw on that pandemic leave... uh, probably as often as that needs to happen. So close contacts, that's why they're changing. That's why the close contact rules are changing so frequently in order to get people to remain in the workforce because you would have noticed that our supermarket sales are a little empty. Yeah, well, like, but, but isn't this just going back to um, having no science to back half of this stuff up with? Now they're just actually going up. To me, it just sounds like this is just my opinion, no science well, here at all. It's just only going on a wing and a prayer here. So for what was conceived to be quite dangerous earlier on now within the workplace, now as there's uh, 10,000 today or something, still active cases out, now you don't need to do all this stuff, as you've just mentioned. WorkSafe don't have to report it. You can stay home now. You're in close contact. You can go back to work and have it with it. So well, where's the uh, evidence on this sense to say that this is all still the ones if it is really still really bad, then how see, is this all covering in the workspace? You've got to think about they had two different strategies. Yeah. So when the pandemic first started, yeah. the strategy was elimination, which is why, you know, Victoria was locked up for so long. New South Wales became locked up in 2021. Victoria spent most of 2021 in lockup. At least that's what it felt like. And... Yeah there was the elimination strategy, that we could eliminate it out of the country. That works for a little while until it spreads too fast. So come 2022, Omicron virus spread too fast to ever think about the elimination strategy. So the government had to change it to a herd immunity strategy with 95% vaccination or 90%, whatever it's sitting at now. I think at the moment, Victoria in itself sitting about 93%, 96%, something like that. And, you know, come, now come the third booster, which has now been mandated in Victoria as well for the workforce. 
So he's had, if you've had two, you've got to have your third. Um, but the elimination strategy will no longer work when you're having 10,000 cases in the workplace. It's a bit like that flu season, how we have an annual death toll from your regular flu season of about seven, seven and a half thousand people. That's not natural elimination. That is just a sad fact of what the flu does to the vulnerable, the immune, immunocompromised. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of people that have of, you know, skin cancer. There is 2,000 people going to die of skin cancer this year. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a statistic. Yeah. And we are now in a statistic of where we're having forty to 50,000 cases around Australia happening within our states. And while Western Australia still works on that elimination kind of strategy, we're going to keep ourselves locked up and therefore we're immune to it, it's kind of not working for them either because it's killing the economy. So eventually you have to take a financial approach and go that herd immunity. And like the rest of the world, Western world has going, we have provided you with the vaccine. We have given you choices to take the vaccine. You haven't taken that up. So we're mandating it. You know, Australia is not the only country in the world that mandated. Austria mandated well, there's still a, yeah, but there's still some that, that, that haven't, though, I think, on that sense. And I think for me, in regards to the concept of mandating, it's to me it comes down to I don't believe that the government has the right to own your body, so they can't tell you what you should put in it. So from that, I go, I go from there, then they have to have others set up because everyone pays taxes, everyone does the right thing. But on the, on the premise of mandate, they don't own it. They don't tell you. They haven't got the right to tell you what to do. And if they did, they'd actually mandate abortion. So any woman that got abortion, they'd actually go out there and tell women that doesn't matter now, you're not allowed to have an abortion anymore. And they don't do that because they don't own a woman's body and they don't have the right to say that. So to me, this is very much a similar argument where I believe the world should do the right thing in regards to helping people and we do it for our family and everyone. But when it comes to this, this level, and that's why I get a little bit frustrated when we talk about the businesses, because it seems like they're telling us to go and do it and small business and business to do it. And you've got to have all of these things in place. You've got to have everything covered, but we won't have another hospital. We won't have proper healthcare sitting up there, whether it starts now or in the next year, in the next two years, they're not putting something in place to accommodate for the people that have a choice, whether they do or they don't want to get vaccinated and have a system there where the ones that aren't and they get sicker, they have a hospital in place for it. And they've had two and a half years to do this. And in that space, they've had enough time. They've stopped universities, they've stopped nurses, they've stopped doctors. And yet all of those people have been getting sick. So the premise doesn't seem to be working for me in this sense. I should be able to manage this a little bit better if from a healthcare perspective. So, to, so I would say, yeah, so I'm, I, you can see by my tone, I'm a little bit annoyed at how it seems to be manipulated. It seems to be the community's fault that this thing seems to be going. Yet there's been two years where they could have managed this and helped these poor ambulances. They could have got other stuff. They could have been doing a hell of a lot more, but yet they, they haven't done and I don't like that in a way I agree with you it's uh, it's not an this has been coming for two years yeah and yes I also agree with the criticism of where are those additional 4,000 beds that were promised so I totally 
am on board with that, but I also am on board with as a health and safety manager, I have a responsibility in my workplace to not only myself but to everyone that's within that workplace and to their family members. So if I have a workplace that does not go with the government mandate, for example, and my workforce gets sick and they take it home to their elderly parent and their parent dies. So do you have a moral obligation to that family to not spread that? But that's a really hard thing to say because the the flu does that every year though, doesn't it? As as you mentioned earlier, the flu does that and people don't get the flu vaccination and it is equally and as... And again, I haven't got stats to back this up. It's just from hearsay. So I'm just assuming this for everyone listening. It is, it is a, the flu season does kill a few people, but in this sense, is that not the same if those people don't choose to get it? And I, and I get that we should. I understand that. But this is just the general so advocate here in that th- sense. Think about it this way, right? So we now have herd immunity, and yet we are still getting 10,000 cases. Let's just round the figure. Yeah. We're still getting 10,000 cases a day in this state, right? So let's call a spade a spade. We've got herd immunity. We've got high vaccination. People are still getting this. They're not getting sick to the point of where they need to be hospitalised. And obviously, even people who are double vaccinated, triple vaccinated, are still vulnerable to get this disease. Okay, so if we were to go back to 2020 and we would have taken a different strategy of herd immunity, which one of the European countries did, Are they any better off or worse off? No. So there was no right or wrong in this. Um, It was whatever you think you could have controlled at the time. And you've got to think about Australia. It's its own little island. We possibly had some opportunities to go, um, let's stamp it out. Let's go with the elimination strategy, right? So Mm. New Zealand did the same thing. They're, they're Omicron as well. And then let's just say we would have gotten it down to zero, right? So eventually we would have had to open our borders up and bring our citizens home. So, you know, you could have early on it was close the border, close the border, close the border, don't let anyone in. It kind of killed our economy, right? But we went with the elimination strategy. And from an economical it almost made sense. But, you, you know, tourism industry almost died for two years. Yeah. Right? Okay, we're now letting people come back in and the discussion is they're double vaccinated, okay? Do they need to be triple vaccinated? Do they? We, our citizens have to be triple vaccinated, so why should a tourist not? Well, that, well again, this is, this is just... This is where I, where I come to saying that half of the information they give us is not based on... Science. It's not based and, on and, science. And so, therefore, they're, they're doing it just to open up everything again. And if that's the case, and if they want to do that, then they've got to have a better healthcare system. They've got to give the better nurses. They've got to make sure everyone's back at uni and get these nurses back in and give so, them the rewards they need for that. Get the ambulances right or up to date if they're going to do start bringing um, tourists back into the country. Because if this takes off again, we're screwed. Right. But you, what you weren't listening to is if we would have taken the same approach before the vaccine was available to us, the severity was much, much higher and the likelihood of you ending up in a hospital or healthcare system 
was much, much greater without the initial vaccine, the, the second vaccine and the booster. So uh, if, if we would have taken the same strategy of just let it run, yeah. then our health system would have been overrun at that time and our health system would now be overrun. Our health system is still coping. It's, it's stretched in resources, but overall our health system is still coping. Now, if there was no vaccine or that herd immunity, would our health system cope as well? But, but I think, but for me, the question is, that if, if you get into a really bad situation, you try and figure out other ways to accommodate this, and it doesn't seem like they've, they've managed this. And now even let's just talk about now going forward. We're speaking about this now, and we're speaking about how the system is struggling and, and how we think it should cope because of the vaccines. But yet people who are vaccinated are going to hospital. Um, um, people who aren't vaccinated are going to hospital, yet we still have the same number of beds. We're still struggling yet. As you said, the ambulance is still stuck. One thing we haven't talked about here is promoting health in people, is like getting them out there and walking. Because as we all know, a strong immune system is a healthy immune system. And they should be promoting better or better use of time in regards to gym fees, helping people get back into exercise. Because as we know, once you lose a bit of weight, once you get healthier, your immune system but becomes stronger. And these the, are advantages that they're not taking, or they're, they're, these are ideas that they're not taking advantage of in that sense to, to help get the community stronger without having to have a healthy vaccine. And I think this is why the, sports people don't get vaccinated because it's proven that the healthier individuals, they actually have a higher immunity. Okay, but don't forget the Western world has been pushing a healthier lifestyle and the food pyramids, you know, they, they've been pushing a certain lifestyle yeah. since the 70s. Yeah. Okay, now it's don't eat carbs. Before it was eat <laughs> the carbs. Don't, <laughs> don't eat fats. So the, the, the government or the health department, if you like, in general, does not know what does a healthy body look like, okay? Yeah, is it I the suppose. gym junkie? <laughs> is it the person that's just freshly born? Or is it the person that's... Uh, look, let's, let, let, let me give you a scenario, all right? Sure, yeah. My child is 20 years old, yeah. okay? And when he was in primary school, so grade one, grade two, yeah. they have this lifestyle van that comes around to the schools and talks to the kids about healthy lifestyles. Yeah. Okay. What's good for you to eat, what's not good for you to eat, right? So my child, do you know what she came home with after no. that? What? She opened the fridge door and said there is nothing to eat in this house in a full fridge stack full of food. Yeah. There was nothing to, in, you know, there was fruit, there was milk, there was bread, there was everything from the food groups. But because a, a seven-year-old child does not understand that, they listen to what the expert have just told her and said, I should be eating this and I'm overweight when that child is well and truly within a healthy weight range. So what is actually the correct diet is it the mediterranean mediterranean diet is it the keto diet what is the correct lifestyle here well i, I probably a certain wouldn't... amount of exercise yes is, is, uh, is weight 
affected yeah. by health business. It certainly is. Um, you know, you cannot say that um, every diabetic person is an unhealthy person because that doesn't work either. No, that's true. I, I was more thinking about how resources and how the confidence can be put back in the community and how support for funding, like, I don't know, this is just a stab in the dark. Why not um, where gyms have been shut down for the, and struggling and health places have been struggling, why not, um, instead of some of this money, give everyone uh, some discounts on gym memberships and set up free classes in the park, get the community going to get them out there, healthy, interactive and get something happening. I don't know whether it's a great idea or a bad idea, but it's better than sitting everyone at home instead you, of... It's, it's actually quite a narrow process because you're catering to the converted already, okay, because they have been converting the healthy lifestyle, get out and exercise since they've been promoting it since the last Be In It campaign in the 70s. Oh, that was a good campaign, though. Go Norm. It was. <laughs> you know, good old Norm Life sitting be in around it, Norm. watching That's TV, it. Life Be yes. In It. But it's a campaign that's been going since the 70s. Yeah. And it hasn't, the, the message has not changed. Get out there, go have a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, what's a healthy lifestyle to one person? It's not a healthy lifestyle to another. There's extremes on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, but isn't but, but so what, what but we're talking about here is choice, then, right? You're talking about choosing it's, to exercise it's, or not. So that comes back is to it choice or, about. Is it choice or ability, Chris? And this is one of those. <laughs> well, I'm terrible at exercise, so that's probably ability, Silky. So, but that's what I'm saying. Is it choice or ability or, or a, a certain fitness? So you, you cannot say that it, there would be no weight loss industry if there was a magic pill. No. Okay, so there would be no um, gyms if everyone was able to exercise at home. So you know, if you are if you want to exercise, you can do that at home. I have a treadmill; I can get on my treadmill at but, home. But I, think I can that... go for a walk around the park. I can yeah. go for a walk around my estate. Yeah. Okay, so just I putting the money or the funding into an industry like the gyms would not solve the problem of people not contracting COVID or people not getting sick from it. So you've got to remember that out of the 10,000 people, you have less than 100 people that need hospitalisation. Yeah. So you've got to look at the statistics and the herd immunity is working to the point where our hospitalisations are not there. So you've got to take the good with the bad here. And if they did not mandate it for workplaces to have it, then no one would take it because there's not enough science behind it. It's no different to the Spanish flu in the 1900s. It's no different to polio vaccines. It's oh. no different to any other vaccine but, that but, but, but wasn't, did, didn't the, From what I understand, I'm, and again, I'm just figures that I've found, uh, so, so far... 98, 98.6 or something percent of people survived this thing, whereas the Spanish flu was, it was way worse. It was killing so many more people. So Again, I, think, I, I think the public perception no vaccine, of this disease... No medication. Though, yeah, so, so, but, but I think the public perception here is the severity of this disease in regards to has the, has the cure been worse than the, than the disease itself? And it seems to and, be it has. But nobody knew that two years ago. Well, that is true, but we do know in fa now. In, in, fa in fairness to 
the governments yes. and all the governments around the world and the who organ the you know world health organization nobody knew what the impact of this disease was going to be okay so a year on and you know... ha- you've had you know 10 million people die of this disease around the world yeah You've had, you know, a billion people already contract the disease and survive it. Yeah, okay, statistic is low, right? Extremely low statistic in that sense. But when it first started, nobody knew. Yeah. So then they created the vaccine. The vaccine keeps us healthier. The vaccine stops us from getting a flu. And again, people say, I don't need the flu vaccine because the flu is not going to kill me unless you're a vulnerable person. But to that vulnerable person, that that flu vaccine that we all sacrifice ourselves for and prove that it's uh, efficacy, that is what gives them the confidence of an immunocompromised person to go, I'm going to take the flu vaccine because it's going to protect me. But if a, a, a billion people didn't take that vaccine, nobody would know what the efficacy was. It has been one of the best studied uh, vaccine or like mandates within the world because, as we now know, the um, system is that so many people have had it, they have now got enough scientific research now after two years to see how all the efficacy of this uh, vaccine is. And it is proven to be very good in that sense. And it is proving to work really well. But I think it goes back to just my frustration with just the rights and just I think the forcing of this where it seems to be, and these are other issues way outside my scope of knowledge and I think yours even and even the cut of what we're talking about is it just come, comes more into the control of these sorts of things where I still think humanity prevails in the sense where you or I and the greater good people go and get it done for their family and it should be that that is spreading more okay, so now, than, the, than now, the knowledge if, of the forcefulness if, of it. If you were to take that mentality, Chris, okay, how many years would it take for us to get to a 95% herd immunity? Well, we would so we're not having 10, 95 days years. with that mentality. I'm hoping 95 days. I'm, think- <laughs> I'm thinking that so, everyone has a great soul and that everyone would do the right thing. That's where well, I'm coming from. I'm, so it's I'm probably sorry, not but sound. <laughs> But that, 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 that doesn't stack up. <laughs> You're probably go, right. You're probably right. But that's where, I, that's where my head's so, at. I wish people would do the right thing on that but premise. You know. People don't because if they all did the right thing, we wouldn't need any law. <sighs> I know, right? And the police so, wouldn't have know, anything to do. That same argument of chicken or the egg, right? What mm. so the egg. People do the right <laughs> thing because there is a law or do people do the right thing because... We don't need the law, but someone decided we do anyway. No, that's simple. People are mean, so they always so, they always try to get away with stuff. Correct. And, you know, and yes, people are making billions out of this vaccine that everyone's shooting up their arms. You know, okay, they, so they, they someone always wrong. gets rich out of this. Yeah, so if they did this wrong. They should have said that the vaccine makes you high, gives you a bigger erection, improves your sex drive. They would have run. <laughs> it gets everyone horny and people would have been going home and everyone, the non-vaccinated included, would have gone and got vaccinated. Correct. They just marketed this whole thing all wrong. It should have they been. Did. They had a better, they should have got me to market it, I reckon. I think you they know, should have. And no more erectile dysfunction. Men, go out and get the vaccine. Heaven's sake, all those protesters in Canberra, instead of up there being... They'd be rejoicing. They would be. They'd be shagging up there. That's what they'd be doing. 
as per usual, we have gone through, you know, we started talking about COVID and the workplace and mandates and we have totally gone off subject into a different direction. Oh, that, yes. oh well, that always seems to happen. We do love a good chat. So. We do love a good chat and, you know, it's, it's been a while. So, and I have really, really enjoyed having this chat with you. It's, it's healthy debating about yes. two different concepts. And while I see both sides of the coin, I can hear the frustration in your voice. <laughs> and I'll get over it. You will get over <laughs> it. And, you know, when it comes down to it that, you know, we've both done the right thing and, you know, for... <laughs> Maybe different reasons, whether it was mandated or whether we felt it was morally or ethically the right thing to do. Um, you know, it is a watch this space and what will happen. But yeah. COVID's not going to go away. And where it'll take us in the future, nobody knows. That is true. That is very true. So thanks a lot, Silky. I had a lovely chat with you today. Thank you. It was a really nice. It was it. It was a nice debate. It was. It was to provide, pro, you know, provoke thought. Mm. And mm. I think you gave a lot of good insight into questions that I wanted answered. That I had. I tried to find information and I couldn't figure out. So, look, I, I, you've changed my mind on a number of topics. I.e., the understanding of who's responsible and who has it, although I, I wasn't aware the government had some of those things set up. So thank you for pointing out that information and making it a lot more clearer for someone like me. So hopefully that's helped a lot of uh, small businesses out there as well. Help them understand. Look, I'm not claiming to have all the answers. It's, it's you know, it's, it's an ever-changing landscape. It changes daily. But you are the queen of health and safety, Silky, so then we can always come back to you when we need it. A decision, we, a decision or a discussion. We certainly can. And, <laughs> you know, it, I'm sure on our next podcast it will be an equally riveting debate. <laughs> I think it will be. Erections and all. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Silky. Thank you. Bye. Bye.